Thank you for coming back on this cold evening. I hope you brought your Bibles. I don't have a handout. If you don't have your Bible, there are scriptures available for you underneath your pew. And I invite you to turn with me to Ezra chapter 7. I'm going to be talking about reading the Bible again tonight. I don't want to beat a dead horse. I've been talking about this for two weeks, but uh, hopefully have something practical to say to you this, this evening. We're going to look at the person of Ezra. And in Ezra chapter 7, verse 6, he is described in this way. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. So he was very adept at utilizing the word of God. He is described as a scribe. A scribe would function primarily as an individual that was a copyist. They would be the people that would make copies of the scriptures. Obviously, there weren't typewriters, there weren't photocopiers. Uh, the scriptures had to be hand copied in order for them to be duplicated. And the primary focus of a scribe was to make such copies, which would require, obviously, that they are spending a lot of time in the Word of God, just sitting and, and copying the Scriptures. That, uh, to me, is almost, um, well, it brings a pleasant thought to my mind. When I was 10 years old, I believed that God was calling me to, to be a pastor. Uh, had a church service where uh, I dedicated my life to such a calling. I believed that God was at work in my heart. I was 10 years old, and I really didn't know much about how to study the scriptures. But I knew that I should be spending time in the Bible. So I can remember, as a 10-year-old, what I would do is sit and copy the scriptures. I had these hand copies of just, you know, I'd sit there and write word for word what the Bible said. That's the best I knew about how to study the Bible. Well, he was a scribe primarily a copyist, but scribes were also excellent, of course, then in their knowledge of the scripture, and they became teachers, and uh, a lot of times the, the lawyers, if you will, of uh, the word, the professors. Uh, but uh, he's described primarily as a scribe. We're going to see later on that he's one of the most effective teachers in Israel of his day. But it describes him as one who is skilled in the law of Moses. Now, it goes on to say in verse Nine, that on the first day of the first month he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of, the, of God was upon him. So God was directing him, God was leading him, God was using him. And the reason that is given is found in verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God, to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So we begin by looking at this process. It tells us, first of all, that he set his heart. King James says he prepared his heart. NIV, he devoted himself. 
Uh, this is a word that means everything from purpose, resolve, commit, plan, set as a goal, set forth a strategy, to seek. So the idea here is that he began by coming up with a goal, a strategy for what I'm going to refer to as mastering the word of God. And I put mastering in quotes. This morning I talked about mastering the scriptures, and uh, that is a lifelong process. And I don't want to give the impression that I view myself as having mastered the scriptures, because I know I certainly haven't. Uh, there is a long way to go. I would say that I probably uh, don't know uh, as much as uh, I do know. There's more for me to learn than what I have learned. But he had devoted himself uh, to studying the scriptures. I point that out because there's a tremendous intentionality here. That he, as I this morning talked about using um, our time, our effort, our energy, our discipline, certainly all of that is contained in this idea that he had resolved to study the Word of God. It requires a, a conscious effort. Uh, it, it requires a plan. It isn't just going to happen in and of itself. All right? So uh, I would say to you, first of all, that we ought to set some kind of goals for ourselves when it comes to studying the Scriptures, when it comes to trying to, to master the Scriptures. So we establish a plan for ourselves, and I say for ourselves because we're all different. We all do different things. We all have a different amount of time. Uh, so I don't have a one plan fits all this evening. But just challenge you to, first of all, stop and think about how you're going to go about this great task of trying to get a thorough understanding of what God's Word teaches. Okay? How are you going to attack that? So the first thing I would point out in developing this, this strategy is how are we going to go about it as far as methodology is concerned? For we know that he was committed, it says, to, to study or to seek the law of God. So what is that strategy? How are we going to study the word? Because a lot of people make a distinction between reading the scripture and studying the scripture. What is the most valuable way that we can spend our time in the word of God? Now, I'm thinking tonight about personal study. I'm, I'm not going to address formal training. Obviously, attending a Bible college, a seminary, such thing would be helpful. But I'm not really going there tonight. I'm just talking about in our personal devotions and study time. What can we do that would be of the most benefit? What would be of the greatest value? I would also say, to start off, that there is a difference in the way that one would go about studying the Bible and preparing for a specific sermon or Sunday school class, as opposed to how we study the Bible just to get to know what the Word of God says. Okay, so uh, I think those are quite different things. Um, if we're going to be studying in order to present a message or 
to present a Sunday school class. Obviously, we're looking at a very small portion of Scripture. We're looking at trying to go into it at depth. We are going to be doing word studies and all kinds of things to prepare this in-depth presentation of a small portion of Scripture. However, I would submit to you that that is not the best way to study the Scriptures in general. It's not the best approach, in my estimation, to try to start with a small amount of Scripture and work our way out, but rather to start from a large portion of Scripture and work our way in. For example, you wouldn't take that approach in trying to master history, for example, or any other book. Let's suppose for a moment you were reading a secular book and you said, I really want to get to know this book. I want to know it in depth. So what I'm going to do is turn to page 220 and study page 220 for hours on end, learning everything I can about what is found on page 220. So we might read something like this on page 220. Jim and Caroline returned from vacation and were extremely tired. So then we might ask ourselves some questions, such as, who is Jim? So then we would have to get a concordance and do a search for the word Jim every time it appeared in this book that we are reading to try to find out who Jim is. We might want to find out how old he is. We might want to find out what it is that he does for work. Uh, but we, we want to find everything that we can about Jim. And then we want to know who Carolyn is. And what relationship does Jim have to Carolyn? Are they husband and wife? Are they father and daughter? Are they girlfriend and boyfriend? Are they enemies? Are they co-workers? What relationship do they have? Now I've got to do another whole set of word studies, and I have to go through and, and search this book in order to find out what is their relationship. Why are they tired? Were they tired before they went on vacation? And they went on vacation and weren't refreshed. Then I have to know what it was like before they went on vacation. If, if they're tired because of vacation, I need to know what they did on vacation. Was it because... <clears throat> <clears throat> their vacation was short. It was only two days. Or was it a month-long vacation? None of those things are going to be found on page uh, 220. So I'm going to have to go through <clears throat> and find those answers. So <clears throat> not only is a concordance study not going to answer all those things, because you're not going to find the exact word there in every paragraph, so you're going to have to study the context. So you might decide to buy a cliff notes. Now, I'm showing my age, okay? I don't even know if they exist anymore. Um, young people, have you ever heard of Cliff Notes? Raise your hand if you heard of Cliff Notes. Okay. Uh, Cliff Notes are a cheating guide uh, to uh, tell you about a book without having to read the book. It'll give you a synopsis. It'll tell you what the book's about and uh, give you the highlights, okay? So you might pick up a Cliff Notes in order to find out what you... You want to know, okay, that is akin to picking up a, a, a commentary or something that is going to tell you something about this book, all right? And I could go on and on with the illustration, but I would submit to you that it would be a whole lot better to read the book. 
And as you read the book, you will find all those answers. You will find everything that the book has to say about the vacation, about who they are, what the relationship is to each other. And it will unfold in a natural way. So too, the Word of God. So I would submit to you that the best way to actually study the Word of God is to read and reread the Word of God. You may want to study a book of the Bible in depth. While it is helpful, you know, and again, it's, it's different for different things. Uh, but even in like preparing Sunday school or even in preparing a message, I find the most value to be had in reading and rereading the book in its entirety. Just to sit down and read it and read it carefully. And what I mean by reading carefully is looking for uh, important words, words that are repeated. This morning I talked about how the Word of God in the book of 2 Timothy is often referred to as truth. As truth. So in our passage this morning, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It goes on, and in the end of that chapter, it talks about those who are resisting and how we are to have patience towards them if perhaps that, perhaps that God would grant them repentance unto the acknowledging of the truth. So here is people repenting, coming to accept the truth. Moves on to the next chapter and talks about those who are ever learning, but unable to understand the truth. These are people that study and study and study and never come to a correct understanding of what the Word of God teaches. Then it moves on and talks about those who are corrupt and reprobate in mind, and they reject the truth. And then it ends with, well, what do you do when you run into people such as, as that? But, but you're looking for specific words, words that are repetitious. You're looking for clauses, therefore, uh, that talk about reasons. But you're, you're reading and reading carefully. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes to this young preacher and says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and others. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So Paul's advice to Timothy is, spend your time reading. Spend your time reading. Now, it is true that it is beneficial to not only read the Bible, but to read about the Bible. There are benefits in reading about the Bible, to be sure. We can learn from others. Uh, We can benefit from their years of study. But one doesn't have to read very many commentaries before we 
find out that many times these commentaries do not agree with each other. And they take quite different approaches to a specific text. Therefore, we need to make a judgment. We have to come to a conclusion. Which commentary is right? Which do we think both best supports the word of God? And to answer that question, you gotta know what the Bible says. So you're back to square one. But I would say to you that it is helpful, and the next best tool that there is in helping you understand the scripture is a good study Bible. And I have been recommending the ESV study Bible, and particularly that Bible. There are ESV Bibles that have study notes other than the ESV study Bible. There are preachers that have their own study Bibles. There are other notes that are available with the ESV study Bible. So I'm talking about the ESV study Bible. Uh, I appreciate their notes. I think they're the most accurate. Um, and every Bible, every study Bible has its theological persuasion. They are approaching the scriptures from a certain theological standpoint. You can't avoid it. So the question is, what theological standpoint are you going to read the scriptures from? Uh, you get that with commentaries. You get that with systematic theologies. Uh, so you always have a certain perspective that people are coming from as they write their notes, as they make their comments. So I find the ESV study Bible closest to where we are theologically. So that's why I submit to you as being helpful. But you see, we want to ultimately get our theology from the scripture, and so that's why we go back and continually read the Bible. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he says this, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. So Paul is requesting that when Timothy comes, that he brings the books. But then he goes on to say, but most importantly, bring the parchments. The parchments would have been the word of God, those uh, writings of scripture. So Paul used other books, but he said, most importantly, the scriptures. So a rule of thumb that I would give to you is however you study the scriptures and whatever resources that you use to help you study, whether that be commentaries, word study books, um, Bible study notes, whatever the case may be, I would encourage you to be sure that you spend more time in reading the scriptures than you spend reading about the scriptures. Okay? You have to know how much time you spend. All my challenge to you would be spend more time reading the scriptures than reading about the scriptures. A.W. Tozier, uh, who is a uh, great devotional writer, said about books that the most valuable books are the books that cause you to place 
to put them down and take up the scriptures. Uh, and I have a hearty amen to that. Again, not that we can't learn from others, but we have to make value judgments on what people say. We have to know that people come from certain um, backgrounds. Let me also say this about commentaries. Commentaries fall within family groups. They have a certain purpose. And so when you do use commentaries, realize what it is that you're looking for. Okay? For example, some commentaries are primarily used to give you the historical background of the time period in which you live. They are socio-commentaries. But I would encourage you, be careful of sociological commentaries because they have uh, the tendency to invent a lot of stuff. Uh, they do a lot of hypothesizing about why certain things were written and they come up with cultural activities and norms that don't necessarily have historical data to back them up. Uh, that's just what they feel is an explanation for what has taken place. So be careful with sociological commentaries. Then there are devotional commentaries, which basically are just trying to come up with devotional thoughts, application, if you will, of the passage for your own personal life and spiritual well-being. So there are devotional commentaries. Then there are uh, grammatical commentaries that focus on the languages, uh, focus on the grammar, uh, etc. Okay, so then there are those, and then there are those commentaries that focus pretty much on word studies and uh, the original languages. Uh, so know what it is that you are looking for help in, and know what kind of commentary it is that you are reading. We live in a day and age of the internet. Please, when you're using the internet to study the Bible, know, what it, it, know the source of, of where you're getting this information, okay? <clears throat> there is no place where there is more garbage than on the internet. There's also value on the internet. I'm just saying know what it is, because I've looked at a lot of these websites and they're junk. They just don't do the study, okay? I find errors in them left and right. Um, you don't want some Yahoo that's just sitting out there and producing all kinds of material, and they're talking off the top of their head. Um, be sure that when you're doing studies on the Internet that you're looking at valuable websites. And I say that with, with also just this caveat. Uh, there's such a temptation to blog today, etc., and there are very good people who are blogging every day, and it's hard to come up with something new and fresh every day that you spend hours thinking about and studying, okay? Uh, so I still believe there's not a shortcut to reading books. Um, excerpts are okay, but I would still encourage people to read, read books. But tonight, it's about reading the scriptures repeatedly. Second, another big temptation in reading the Bible 
is, as I said this morning, to approach it like a series of short stories. Um, Bible storybooks are big on, on that. And many times that's how people are introduced to the Bible, reading Bible storybooks. That's how I was introduced to the scriptures. And that's fine, except realize that these Bible stories are not self-contained. They are intended to relate to other portions of the scripture. The Bible uses other portions, quotes from these stories. So don't view these as isolated events where you just have this Bible story that's teaching you a moral lesson. That's predominantly the way that people use the Old Testament. That's predominantly the way Christians read the Old Testament. Here is a, a story. Now, what do we learn? How can we apply this to our life? What's the, what's the story intended to teach me? Okay? And in that sense, these Old Testament stories are almost approached like Aesop's fables. Here's this story. Now, what's the moral in the end? What do I learn? I should have faith in God. I should trust in God. And it becomes that general. It becomes that, you know, the story of David and Goliath. Well, you know, by God's help, I can overcome the enemies of my life. And that's what's, without taking into context David's kingship and, and what this means and, and who Goliath was and, and what's the battle about and what's going to happen as a result of all this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So be careful of not just reading the Bible as this moral anthology of stories. In fact, that's what liberal churches do all the time, and that's why they spend time reading the scriptures even though they don't believe the Bible's true. Because they are simply looking for a moral. Okay, so to teach that we ought to have faith in God and God can help us overcome the giants in our life, it doesn't even matter if the story of David and Goliath is true. For the understanding is its intent is to teach us a moral truth, regardless of whether it's true or not. Well, obviously we're not there. Obviously we're going to say that this, is, this story is true. But we need to go beyond just the, the moralizing of these Old Testament stories. So we want to read the Bible so that we see how these stories are connected with each other. Okay? All the names to understand the lineage, these families, and what God is doing in the families, and how God is raising up, and how God is merciful, and God is gracious. And we see how in the genealogy in Matthew, how Rahab is mentioned, and how God in his grace uses a Rahab in his um, lineage, etc. So, you know, try to keep these family lines straight. As we think about these uh, study Bibles, I said the ESV study Bible, I know it's cumbersome, it's huge, it's heavy, 
Uh, it's not easy to carry around with you. Uh, and if you get one that is anywhere near small enough to carry with you on a regular basis, the print is so small that at least I can't read it, maybe you can. And so there are problems even with that. But here is this thought. What I'm trying to say to you is just read and read and reread the Bible. And the bigger sections that you can read, the better. Okay? The more chapters that you can read at one time, the more you will see how the Bible relates. You will see more of the continuum. You'll see more of the timeline. That's why I encourage you to read more and more. Not just read your Bible through once, but try to read it through a number of times in a year. And if you do so, it will get you reading more and more chapters at the same time. I've already said, you know, at least books of the Bible. See, try to read through a book in the Bible at one shot. So you can see the, the whole thing. Second Timothy is easy. Matthew's not so easy. Chronicles isn't so easy. But, you know, give it a shot every now and again to just sit down and read a book from beginning to end. And you'll be surprised at how things start fitting together for you. Okay. So Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Secondly, to do it to do it. We should read the Bible not just to satisfy our curiosity, nor should we read it just so that we can gain knowledge of the book itself, but we should always read with the intent of obeying that which we read, with the intent of putting into practice what the Word of God tells us to do by obeying its commands, about uh, following its precepts, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So we are not to try to understand the things that God has not revealed. Those are the secret things. They belong to, unto God. But the things that are revealed, but the scriptures are given to us for us to understand. So there are mysteries that are hands-off to us. We shouldn't speculate. We shouldn't try to come up with the answers where the Bible is silent. But if the Bible speaks to it, it intends for us to know it. Okay? So it's a cop-out to throw up our hands in difficult portions of Scripture and say, I don't think God ever intended us to understand this. Then he wouldn't have revealed it. Okay? If it's in the scriptures, we're supposed to understand it. Now, having said that, there's an awful lot of portions of scripture that are very hard to understand. But we should work at doing so. We shouldn't just throw up our hand and say, well, God didn't intend us to understand this. Well, he did. He did. The revealed things belong unto us so that we might do them. Revelation, chapter 1, verse 3, says this. Blessed is he who reads... And those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. So the idea is not just simply blessed are those who read. But blessed are those who read and heed. 
Blessed are those that read and do. Okay? So even the book of Revelation is given to us not to simply satisfy our idle curiosity of what's going to happen in the end time. But it is given to us to prepare for the end times. It's given to us so that we might know how to respond to the end times. And not just the end times, but the day and age in which we, we live as well. We may be in the end times, but we are certainly going to see uh, things that are compatible with the end times. In my Sunday school class, I was pointing out how there's much in the book of Exodus that is reiterated in the book of, of Revelation, including the plagues, uh, including the Song of Moses, uh, that is teaching us about the future and how God acts consistently in judgment, consistently in dealing with his people, in providing help for them and grace for them. And I mentioned in the book of Exodus that um, God preserved his people through the plagues without taking them off the face of this earth. And I believe in the book of Revelation that God preserves his people through the plagues without taking them off the face of the earth God is consistent. God uses these judgments to teach us about other judgments. That's finding our straight path through the scriptures. And then thirdly, to teach it. As it prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and ordinances. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ezra, uh, excuse me, Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Here we find Ezra teaching the people. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6. And it teaches us how Ezra taught the scriptures. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen and Amen. With lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And now notice what he does. Starting with verse 8. So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly. So in teaching the word of God, the first thing he did was publicly read the word of God to demonstrate that what he was about to say came from the scriptures. That's why I use handouts. That's why I read a text, I tell you what portion I'm taking the text from, okay? Because the authority is the text. The whole purpose is to explain the Bible. So it starts with the Bible. He read in the book of the law of God distinctly. Then it says, in verse 8, and gave the sense, okay, or gave the understanding. Here is the explanation. Here is saying, this is what God's word says. This is what God's word means. So after he, he reads the word and tells them what it means, then he applied it. Verse 8, in the end, and caused them to understand the reading, which means the relevance of what he just read. 
uh, and they came to realize that they had married foreign wives, etc., and uh, they shouldn't have done that. And then there's weeping and wailing and all kinds of things. But that's the proper approach to the teaching of God's word. Reading it, explaining it, and then applying it. Why do I say that? Well, because unfortunately today, uh, like anything, there's this tremendous desire for shortcuts. Uh, people want stuff that's nice and sweet and easy. And people don't like to listen to 45-minute sermons. They want 10-minute sermons. They want 12-minute sermons. Okay? Basically, what people want is, tell me what I should do. Tell me how I should live. Tell me what this means for me. Don't bother reading. <laughs> Don't bother explaining. Just tell me what I'm to do. But you see, with that, you have robbed the people of the authority. Okay? Then the preacher becomes the authority, telling people how they are to live. Uh, we shouldn't want to listen if someone isn't going to tell us where they got it, what it means, and then we can make an evaluation as to whether we should do this or not because we understand what the Word of God teaches us. It's all about simply understanding the Scriptures, which I say to you is the blessing of Scriptures. I don't know. I, I find that people you know, want their goosebumps to go up and down their spine. You know, they're, they're looking for this aha moment when, uh, wow, you know, they encounter God or something, and I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, and I think that is frustrating a lot of people. What can we expect from reading the, the scriptures? Answer, to understand what they say. But if we understand what they say, then we know what God is like. Then we know what God would have for us. The goal is simply to understand and then do what the scriptures tell us to do. Believe what they tell us to believe. Um, respond to God the way that he responds to God. Okay? Uh, just this morning, someone said to me, I don't know what I think about a God like that. Well, we need to submit ourselves to the way God describes himself to us. We, we don't get to make up who God is, what he does, or what he's like. Our responsibility is to find out what God is like and then submit to him. To do what he would have us to do. It's really that simple. And to do what he tells us to do will lead to blessing. And to fail to do what he calls us to do is to our harm. Not just because God will punish us, but because God has the best intent for us. God desires our well-being. So when we go against his word, we are shooting ourselves in the foot. We are choosing a path that is difficult for us. That is, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. We're, we're, we're choosing misery when we go against God. Not just because this God is an ogre in the sky who's going to zap us, but for our well-being, he's telling us what is the road to happiness and what is the road to destruction. So I want to know what that road is. And then hopefully I want to follow that road 
And then I want to share with other people what that road to blessing is and what that road to destruction looks like to preserve them and keep them from it. So even when you think about, quote unquote, studying the scriptures, because I just had a person ask me last week, okay, um, saying that they were studying in depth a portion of scripture and said, do you think that instead of doing that, I should read my Bible through this year? My answer was yes. Yes, okay? The best way to understand the scripture is from the whole to the small, not from the small to the whole. You get the big picture, then the other things start making sense. And you get the big picture, and you're really kept from a lot of the erroneous thoughts that arise out of a single verse taken out of context, because now you know the general way in which the scriptures fit together, and you can readily recognize that when a verse is taken out of context because it doesn't match with what the rest of the Word of God teaches. So my whole pitch to you tonight is read, read, reread the scriptures and spend more time reading the scriptures than you do reading about the scriptures. Okay? So don't take your time in reading a Bible verse and four paragraphs that give you a nice thought about that verse, but rather spend your time reading the scriptures. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to spend time in your word. Lord, open our hearts to be able to understand your truth. Give us wisdom, give us insight, and Lord, give us a delight in your word. Help us to understand it, and Lord, to be able to apply it in life-changing ways. May we see the value of hearing from you, and, uh, O oh Lord, uh, may we follow this precept that we find in life Ezra, who prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it in teaching Israel statutes and ordinances. Lord, help us all, whatever our calling is in life, to read the Bible, to understand the Bible, to share it with others. Even if that sharing is informal, even if that's just with our children, with our spouse, uh, with our coworkers, from time to time as they have questions or we have uh, valuable input in their lives. But Lord, uh, may we not keep the scriptures to ourselves, but may we be willing to share your truth with others. Give us wisdom to understand what is true and what is not. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.